The first reading today comes from the Old Testament, Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Look to the Lord and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in the Lord. I fear the Lord, you his holy ones, for those who fear the Lord have no want. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Amen. The second reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke. It's been about eight years since I preached on this passage from Luke about Jesus' relationship with children and our own. I've been thinking about uh, whether it's time to look at that passage again and had early on thought that our celebration of the National Children's Sabbath in October might be a good time. Then I heard from Hillary about her and Scott's plans to move to the Midwest and that this would be her final Sunday with us as Director of Children and Family Ministries. And so it seemed fitting that this be the Sunday. And so our passage is about Jesus's relationship with children. The sermon today is not a tribute to Hillary, for in our worship, our tribute is always to our Lord. But, you know, and we'll have time to uh, talk about and thank and talk to Hillary following our service today. But this moment does give us a reason to remember the place of children in the life of the church. A place that Hillary did make so well for us these past five years and a place that we will continue to make in years to come. You heard words from Psalm 34 about the loving care that we receive from a God who sees us all as children. Now please hear Jesus talking about children from the Gospel of Luke. May God bless to us the reading of God's word. People were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. But Jesus called for the disciples, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. 
Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. There's a part of this little story from the Gospel of Luke that I don't think I ever fully understood until I had the opportunity some years ago to spend a little time with a small group of seminarians in Egypt, in little villages in what's called Upper Egypt. In Egypt, Upper is down, is down and Down is up, and so Upper Egypt is Southern Egypt. And little villages, many of them Christian, in fact, and are full of children. And at one point we walked, we entered the edge of one of these little villages, a small group of us, and suddenly, as if from nowhere, nowhere to be seen, spontaneously, there were hundreds of children all around us. Maybe you have experienced something like that in some of your travels throughout the world or even here in the States somewhere. Hundreds of children as if from spontaneously appearing gathering around, calling to us, singing, asking, wanting to talk to us and to touch us and to learn. And we were moving through in the midst of this beautiful chaos. And I realized I was in a different world. There is something about this story that that tells something about. Perhaps that's what Jesus was experiencing with children all around him, and as we hear in Luke, even some parents bringing their infants to him, hoping that he might touch them as if some magical thing will take place. We get a little sense of that sometimes even today with politicians kissing babies and the like, but somehow this experience with Jesus was deeper and even more real. It is understandable why the disciples might want to keep all of that away from Jesus. What a distraction from his real mission. Let's keep Jesus for the folks that he should be teaching. The parents should take care of the kids, at least until they reach the age of decision, maybe 13. But Jesus directly contradicts them, doesn't he? He stops the disciples dead in their tracks. He sounds angry, even frustrated. He dresses them down. Let the children come to me and do not stop them, he says. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. In my experience, at least, talk of this passage usually moves quickly from the encounter between Jesus and the children to what Jesus says to the adults. That one sentence. Whoever doesn't receive God's world as a little child will never even enter it. And then the attention often gets even a little narrower to that word as. The lesson is drawn that we adults 
should become childlike in one way or another if we want to know God. And then conversation begins about what about children we are supposed to emulate. We talk, rightfully, of innocence, of wonder, of playfulness, of unconditional acceptance, of willingness to learn, of openness to the future, of desire for relationship, or any one of those things that we think growing up can take away from us. It's all nice. And there is some insight there. But I do wonder if that approach also kind of romanticizes childhood. I mean, there is some of all of those beautiful things in childhood, for sure. Just as there are some of all of those things once in a while in adulthood, too. But there is also less desirable things about childhood, too. Childhood, if we are honest, even in our experience or our memories, can be textured with fear or need or jealousy or meanness or vulnerability or restlessness or ignorance, even as it can include all of those beautiful things that I just mentioned. And you know, adulthood actually has a few advantages that we shouldn't dismiss quite so soon. There is actually nothing in scripture that invites us to romanticize children or childhood. But there is a word in scripture so clear, especially in the story read to you today, that asks us to take children and childhood very seriously and faithfully. And again, it's all wrapped up in that little word, as. So let's think about that. As can mean like, meaning that we are to receive and enter God's way of life acting like children. I'll grant some of that. Maybe we should emulate the sweeter things of childhood, even as we also remember the harder parts. That would be good for us. It would even be godly. But that as might also refer to a little different responsibility. It might be about how we welcome children. You see, it it can carry a sense of in the way that, or in the manner of, or in keeping with. Again, as a word about how we welcome children, not so much about how we become children. Let the little children come to me and do not stop them, 
For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God in the way that you receive a little child will never enter it. Talking that way sounds a little, that this is a little less about how we do or don't act like children than it is about whether we treat children like Jesus or like the disciples. How we treat children becoming a window into how we treat everyone. It makes how we receive children a model for faithful living children's ministry as a model for following Jesus. Hillary would be very pleased to hear me say that. But the question, of course, is how? And that's a good question. I'll try three ideas on you, if I may. You might find more yourself as you read scripture or, or think about all of this. But let me try three. First, like Jesus, we receive children with respect, and we learn faith from that. A four-year-old girl and her father went to the beach. There was a dead seagull lying on the sand. The girl asked her father, Dad, what happened to the birdie? And her dad answered her, Sweetie, the bird died and went to heaven. And the girl asked, Then God threw it back? When I looked at the notes from the last time I preached that, I saw that joke and I thought it was too good not to repeat. Because you see, with, with all of their complex young lives and developing brains, children have a way of clarifying things for us. They ask us to explain what we say and what we believe in ways that make sense making spiritual realities concrete and letting concrete things have spiritual significance. Can't take shortcuts. Gotta think it through and tell it well. One of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century, Ludwig Wittgenstein, who wrote treatises in logic and founded entire schools of thought, once wrote late in his life that the only true joy that he experienced was his weekly afternoon volunteering at the local kindergarten, talking with and teaching the children. Teaching children is one of the most creative intellectually challenging, insightful things that we will ever do. And we don't always do it well. The last thing we should do, I believe, for a child is talk down to them or dilute truth or make the stuff of life and faith so simplistic that what we tell a child when they are five collapses when they're 15 or 50. 
To make the message of God's sacrificial love simple does not mean we have to make it simplistic. Children understand more than we sometimes think they do, don't you think? And they can catch hold of things more complex than we tend to think they can if those things are talked about in creative, intuitive, and approachable ways. And aren't we all like that? Doesn't the Holy Spirit touch each of us in the same way, children as we all are in the view of God? God is not Santa Claus. Faith is more than a moral lesson. Love is deeper than how we feel. God doesn't protect us from life, but gives us meaning and love through life. And God meets us where we are, whether five or 95. And so, second, like Jesus, we receive children with compassion. And we learn faith from that. Two young boys were staying the night at their grandparents' house. It was near Christmas. At bedtime, they said their prayers. The younger brother said in a really loud voice, I pray for an electric scooter and an iPad. The older brother said, why are you shouting your prayers? God isn't deaf. I know, the younger brother replied, but grandma is. I didn't have to let that one sink in, did I? The boy knew who was working for God. I'm not sure the prayer for the iPad is exactly what Jesus values, but the praying is. Let us listen to what children pray. And let us remember that we all pray as children in some way wanting both God and the cosmos to hear us. And so let's overhear the prayers of children because as Jesus lets the children come round him, he is saying that all children are God's children and he is expanding our understanding of family and giving us new voices to hear. So if all children are God's, then all children are also ours as God's people. Not to own or to silence, but to hear and to care for and to help. Their needs, not just their desires, are our marching orders. 33% of the world is under 20 years old. That's two and a half billion people. According to the World Bank, almost 18% of them live in extreme poverty compared to 8% of adults. UNICEF estimates that COVID added another 100 million to that number. The Children's Defense Fund says that in 2019, one in seven children in the United States did not have enough food to eat. 
let alone other things that they need so to grow strong and well and whole. Gun violence is the leading cause of death for children in our country. Mental health and school professionals tell us of rising levels of anxiety and depression and more among our children, even as opportunities for love and growth abound for so many. As Hillary was so often quick to say to our staff, we seem to be living in a 911 moment for children and families, and it is our privilege as followers of Jesus to respond to that call. When we encounter the needs of children and respond, we are doing God's work. It is not always easy but it brings joy, respect, compassion. And so third, we also receive children with a sense of balance. And we learn faith from that too. I have no joke for this one. Just a simple thought that our ministry with children should hold the same balance as spiritual living does for all of us. A balance between grace and discipline, between mercy and accountability, between confession and forgiveness, between unconditional acceptance and encouragement to live higher and better and more faithful lives in all things, between seriousness and laughter, between work and play, between living life here and loving the promise of life beyond. And as we balance those things, we always tilt our balance toward love. And as we tilt our balance that way, we minister love to children. And that ministry is our model for faith. And so if you would, let me also say this. How we minister to children is also a measure of our faith. For Jesus says it plainly right there in that passage. Let the children come to me and do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Ministry with children should be our first work and not an afterthought. Ministry with children should get a significant share of our resources and our time and our interest and our intelligence. Ministry with children should have pride of place in our prayers. But that is not always easy. I will fully admit that in my own life, perhaps it's because of my particular role, I am far too often pulled away from that part of ministry. I give it too little attention and trust others to do it. I mean, it's enough to tend to all of you folks, for goodness sake. But that approach is less than what Jesus wants. God calls each one of us to get into it in whatever way we can, to get on the floor if we can and do the work, to take the time to learn and to be creative, to overhear 
the prayer and yearning and needs of children and respond, to give money and support and our own prayer to the work, and to train and support those we charge with the responsibility to organize the effort and to keep an eye out for all that we can do. I loved the moment in my first congregation many years ago when our children's ministry committee publicly declared that our children's programming was no longer the responsibility of the parents, but was the responsibility of the whole church. We gave parents time off, and others stepped in grandparents, young adults, folks who have never had children in their home but felt called to the children of the church, folks who couldn't work directly with the kids but could provide support from the outside. And I loved it when a space was needed to direct a weekend evening program designed to help at-risk youth in distress in our community and the youth and some adults of our church stood up and said, we have a basement in our church, bring it here. And I loved it when one of Hilary Mikowski's predecessors here at Pinnacle, Debbie Lisk, said that kids have capacity and created a program that Hillary has continued and developed, which we called Kids Can. You see, when come to the judgment one day, the first question by which we may be measured as a congregation might not be about our buildings or our campus or our music, or our adult education, or our fellowship, or about any of the other things that we rightly and beautifully value. The first question that we might get might just be about how we welcomed children. And thanks be to God, we have Jesus as our model and our help. Amen.